this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. I'm Hope Bolinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch all my favorite animated shows. In this episode, while Stan, Dipper, Mabel, and Seuss are falling into a bottomless pit, they tell stories to pass the time. We're talking about Gravity Falls' bottomless pit this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. You having a good week so far? Yes, so far. Our hot water heater <laughs> died, so I'm having cold showers for the next uh, five or six days. But, but at least it's summer, so it could be yeah. like the middle of winter with cold showers. Yeah, oh, that would be terrible. Terrible, terrible, but yeah. How's the kitty, Miss Bernice? She's doing good. She is basically lives for playing with her piece of yellow string. That's the only thing she's interested in. I have a stick with like a furry dangly thing that a big fur ball that dangles from it with a bell on it that if she would just pounce on it will will squeak. At first she was super intimidated by it. Now she wants to attack it but she's still not ready to attack it but I'm slowly slowly working her up to bigger bigger toys. Where does she normally sleep? She we're calling her the log lady right now. It's a pillow that my roommate has. But it's one of those stretch. It's it's shaped like a log. It's a log, and it has like that mushy foam in it. It's mm-hmm. not memory foam, but it's like this really squishy kind of uh, granulated filling in it, and in a stretchy sort of you know log fabric. And she loves that. I think it's because it's warm. It's like leaning up against another cat or mommy or something, you know, because it, it reflects heat. And she just usually will just sort of hug up onto her log and sleep there. Put the toy beside that pillow, and that way it gets her scent on the toy, and then she'll eventually be like, oh, this is my property. Okay. Okay, it smells like me. I'll I'll give that a try. Because we had to do that with Zeb and his harness, because if you try to put, like, a brand new harness, it doesn't smell like them. So we would just put the harness, um, we, we have, like, we have, like, stone floor, but we have, like, a big carpet in the middle of the stone floor. And they like to sleep on that because it's nice and warm. And that's one of Zeb's favorite nap spots. And also he has an ottoman. So we would put the harness on the floor where he normally sleeps. And we just left it there for like three days. And so, and then sometimes we would put it in the ottoman where he would just like jump up there and it would be there. And he would just lay beside it and not re- kind of, it's just a thing that's there. And eventually um, his smell got onto the harness. So it made it easier to like put him in the harness hmm. because it, it had his scent. I have a glove that has rubber nubs for taking off fur, and I tried to, because she's shedding, but she's, you know, she wants to claw you after petting her for so long, so it's hard to, like, defur, so I was like, oh, when she gets a load of this glove, she might like it, and I put the glove on, and she was just like, hissing at it, you know, it freaked her out. (laughs) I'm I'm wondering, I've used it on the neighbor's cat, so I'm wondering if it smells like the neighbor's cat, maybe that's why, or just because it was a weird big thing on my hand. But maybe I'll put the glove where near her log too, and because uh, cats are very like scent territorial, like yeah. everything has to smell like them. If it doesn't smell like them, it's not theirs. Yeah. People um, think that cats like to smell things the same way that dogs do, and they don't. Powerful smells can be a sensory overload for them, and they don't like it. Yeah, my, my kitties are the same way. Like 
there's we have this little piece of fleece that sits in the chair beside me. And you'll see, like, if Carmilla hasn't been there for a while, Spokes will jump up there and she'll just smell it. And after Spokes goes away, Carmilla will jump back up there and just start licking the area that Spokes was laying on just to make it smell like her again. <laughs> They're very sent territorial, so. <laughs> well, you ready to get into the episode? Yes. Did you like this one? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking to myself that I, I may <laughs> want to start becoming more sent ter- territorial in my life. <laughs> just, sounds like, it sounds like a fun thing to be. We were talking beforehand about how it'd be difficult for you to shower because you, you work in a restaurant and you have grease on you and not having hot water doesn't get the grease off. So what you should just do is just with the grease still on you, just lay on something and roll over it so it gets the grease smell and that's something, like, this is mine. <laughs> something nice and, yeah, something, well, something nice and absorb it and just try to, like, absorb all the grease off me. I was telling Hope what I'm, and half joking, but I may actually have to do this, is I might have to go get, like, Dawn dishwashing liquid, you know, with grease cutting agents and Until you soap down with that. Until you water back on. <laughs> Then, then take uh, what what you what you call it a squeegee to myself and just squeegee all the grease off in the cold water. I just like this image of you like your roommate walks in and you're just rolling around in a chair and she's like, "What are you doing?" And you're like, "Marking my territory. <laughs> this is mine." Or she's sitting on the couch and she's just like, "I don't feel right on my own couch. I don't know what it is." Just <laughs> <laughs> like barbecue, and I don't know why. Did, Chris, did you roll on the couch again? Bernice is licking it because she's like, it tastes like meat. <laughs> everything, everything that comes out of that restaurant smells like barbecue too. And like even my tablet that I have, the fan in my tablet has picked up so much smoke and barbecue smell. <laughs> when you turn my, when I'm not at work and I turn the tablet on, I first noticed it on the bus last year going to New York City. I'm like, why do I smell work? I felt like the warm air coming coming out of the back of the vents on my tablet. And I'm like. Oh my God, my tablet has just like it been infusing this applewood smoke. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> can't, be, can't be good for the tablet, but so far it's it's still alive. So. <laughs> oh my God, I kind of wish all my stuff smelled like barbecue. <laughs> At first, it's nice. After a while, it's yeah. It just becomes it, another smell. Yeah, I mean, if you work at a regular restaurant. Like the Mexican restaurant was nice like that because you smell like Mexican food, which I guess isn't everybody's jam. But I like the smell of Mexican. I like the smell of cumin. So everything sort of smelled like cumin. And like in the barbecue place, everything smells like campfire, a a nice, nice wood smoke campfire. Regular restaurants, you just smell like old French fry grease. Like when you drive by a McDonald's or something and their grease is old and you smell the exhaust fan. That's what most people smell like. Coming out of a restaurant. How many different kinds of restaurants have you worked in? Because I know, I knew about the barbecue and I knew about the Mexican restaurant. What what other ones have you worked in? Oh geez, I've worked at a bunch of different bars, and the one one bar was bar food, but we also did a lot of sort of Irishy sort of stuff because it was an Irish-owned bar and and it wasn't really an Irish bar, but it had a a good amount of Irish flavor to it. I worked at a vegetarian place for for a while. What does vegetarian smell like when you leave? There Nothing. wasn't there wasn't a lot of smell because there wasn't a lot of frying. There there wasn't a lot of grilling and stuff like that that you usually do with meat that like spews the smell out in there. There was a lot of boiling, chopping, baking. 
when we we did have fryers there and when we used them we used them once a week to make corn chips for this bar down the street that would order a bunch of fresh corn chips from us every friday night i'm just fascinated of like the different smells of people and restaurants <laughs> i've had this is like a fascinating i'm sure yeah. our listeners are like um can we get to gravity falls and i'm like but smells <laughs> i'd love to work in and i've always wanted to get the problem with getting in an indian restaurant is I don't have any inns with India, like Indian restaurants, like around here anyway, are open to like they would be open to hiring me as a waiter, but not in the kitchen, maybe as a dishwasher or something. But it's all family in the kitchen. I'm sorry. Is the restaurant world like a cutthroat business? Yeah, it's generally I mean, yeah, everything's kind of a cutthroat, cutthroat business these days, but like. It depends on what tier of working you are. Like, if you're a high, if you go to New York City and you've graduated from like oh, yeah, culinary like, institute. Yeah, like that I know. I'm just talking about like you know the local restaurants of like your area. Is it like cutthroat? Like, oh, well, those guys just uh, took Chris Honeywell from us, and so we can't hire him anymore. Yeah, in some. Well, yeah, but not not my job. They're not. There's nobody. Uh, yeah, I'm not getting. Uh, hijacked from other places i could get hijacked from other places but it's like yeah or what 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 the hell is that that word i'm thinking of that that when they headhunted yeah yeah i'm not in a position to get headhunted but if it's a more expensive or pricey restaurant for sure like if you have the right cook in there they could be that people could you know people will like if you're if you're that that kind of cook, you 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 will sign a contract, you know, to make sure that you're only working at their restaurant for a while, so nobody else is getting any of your recipes, and that you you design recipes exclusively for that restaurant and stuff. So it can be cutthroat. When I was working at the comic book store, I had to sign a con. Uh, part of my when I signed on, I had to sign an agreement to not take all the secrets and then go open my own comic book store. I don't see how that would stand up in a court of law. <laughs> it doesn't, um, because, I, because... Worked two, I worked for two comic book stores. One stopped, one was great. I had to sign very similar agreements for the two separate stores. But I still got hired onto the second store, and which was fun because we both, me and my, my boss both hated the guy who owned the other store. Everybody hates him. <laughs> he is a piece of shit. Nobody likes him to the point where he's been banned from several conventions because everybody hates this guy. But one of his employees from the bad place went and opened her own comic book store about six months ago and he can't do shit about it. And she is being successful over there and he still sucks. You, so, can't, you can't just... I mean, the thing is, yeah. is, is running a comic book store... Is not secrets. <laughs> it's yeah. running a comic book store. You know, you have stock and stuff like that. It's it's and and if you learn this the trade of running a comic book store from working in one, that's not stealing their secrets. I, I know it's so silly. I, yeah, no, I think it's just like this standard thing that they think they have to do with businesses is these days, or there's a legal thing that makes it that have to happen. But yeah, it's just absurd. I, I mean, yeah, there. I, I've worked at restaurants where I've had to do that, where it's just like, you know, you won't, if you know any secret, 
recipes you can't you won't tell anybody uh, and all that but that makes sense like if that's you, legit you know, yeah that, yeah that's... like if you work at like kfc and you learn like kfc corporate and you learn their super secret like chicken recipe i could see how they could be like um don't share that please even then people make their own homebrew of like chick-fil-a right. sandwiches right. because chick-fil-a you... is a piece of shit with terrible lgbtqa practices so people has learned how to make their own chicken sandwiches I could tell you it ain't that hard. <laughs> I don't no, get Chick-fil-A sandwich. The secret ingredient's pickle juice. Yeah, that's a standard ingredient in spoiler. And when you're making battered chicken to, to use pickle juice, we use it at our place because it's like fam, old family recipe. <laughs> yep. Anyway, Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls. Did you like this episode? I did. It's different, isn't it? I gleaned some stuff off it, but it's a very fluffy episode. It's a very fluffy episode. It's almost like they had three ideas that they didn't think merited a full episode, but they liked them and they found a way to present them. Which, yeah, nothing wrong with that. I mean, it was very entertaining. That that's a, like one of my notes. It, it's hard to tell whether or not this was three episode, like three mini ideas that they decided to make into bigger ideas, or if they all always went into this episode planning for it to be this way. It's hard to tell. I don't really know which one. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say that when you know when they were putting the show in pre-production, they had probably tw- at least twice as many episodes as they they came up with proposals and story ideas for twice as many episodes as they would use so they could pick and choose and refine it down and these were ones that didn't make the cut because they were probably didn't have enough to fill 22 minutes with each of them you want to know one of the episodes that actually that the Alex Hirsch has talked about before that they ended up cutting because it was a similar storyline that they used in other episodes it was a Labyrinth-inspired episode. Where Ooh, which where I still haven't seen Labyrinth. I haven't seen Labyrinth either! Hate us together! But Dipper would be taken by the um, David Bowie-like character, and Mabel would have to choose between the hot David Bowie character and saving Dipper. But because they had done similar stories to that throughout the show, they ended up cutting that one. But you still get a t- tiny nod to that when we get to the shorts. At what, like at one point, we're gonna see like a David Bowie labyrinth inspired moment in some of the shorts. So they still got to touch on it, but that's one of the ones that that's a big one that most fans are like, but labyrinth. <laughs> All right, you ready? I'm ready. The fun thing I have in my notes is I'm, we're gonna debate which ones of these we think is canon and which ones are we don't think is canon. <laughs> so. Oh, I've I've got a pretty good idea. I, I've I've got some ideas on that. I got, yeah, I got two out of three that I think are canon, so. Here we go! The Bottomless Pit is the 14th episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on March 1st, 2013. It was written by Michael Rianda and Alex Hirsch. The director was Aaron Springer and Joe Pitt, and the storyboard artists were Matt Braley, David Grimmel, and Alonzo Ramirez-Ramos. And just a little note about Matt Braley, the storyboard artist. He's also the creator of Amphibia, which is currently running on Disney Channel at the time of this recording. And in a season two episode called Wax Museum, two characters are named the Curator and Frog Seuss, and they're featured. The Curator looks like Grunkle Stan as a frog, and Frog Seuss is, well, Seuss as a frog. And they work at the Curiosity Hut. And Alex Hirsch reprised his role in voicing both characters. By the way, Amphibia is 
fun. It's a fun little show. I've been watching it. I'm about, I'm a little over halfway through season one, so trying to catch up to season two so I can see. I've been noticing that you've been watching it. I've been seeing it popping up. It's an interesting show. It's hard for me to read. It's very different and it's very interesting. And I don't know how much I should read. Okay, okay, we're going to have a <laughs> pause. Gravity Falls. We're going to have a side amphibia tangent. So amphibia is about a girl named Anne and her two friends pressure her into shoplifting a music box. And when they open this music box, they get transported to another world. And Anne is separated from her friends. So she's trying to not only find her friends, she's wanting to get home. But I'm like 24 episodes in. And I should also say uh, it has the episodes are 11 minutes long. It has a Steven Universe verse format where every episode's 11 minutes long. So when I say I'm 24 episodes in, it's really like 12 normal episodes in. So I'm 24 episodes in and there's only been really three major plot episodes and everything else has been character building and world building, which is really great because I love character building and world building. But it's hard to read because I don't know if I should be paying attention to plot because Steven Universe had a very similar format where if you're watching Steven Universe for the first time, you just you're missing all the big major plot things even as early as episode one because you just don't know to look for it. And when you go back and you get later in the show and you go back to those earlier episodes, you're the the a big example is Cookie Cat. Cookie Cat is Steven's favorite ice cream. It has a little theme song, and it's like, Cookie Cat, he left his family behind. Cookie Cat, he's here for his time. But when you actually get later on to Steven Universe, Cookie Cat, the theme song for this ice cream in episode one, is actually the theme of Steven's journey for the entire show. (laughs) But it's just this, like, kind of cute little offhanded thing in episode one that you don't ever think of. You think it's just a cute little song. So that's where I'm having a lot of trouble reading Amphibia, Because I'm like, well, there could be tons of plot stuff that I'm missing that I don't know if I should be looking for it. Or it could just be a fun show. (laughs) It's so hard to tell. But I'm really enjoying Amphibia. I I like that the main character is unlikable. Anne is very much a teenager. And at times, like, she's actually described in the in the press relief as being self-centered. Like, in the press release, they say that she's self-centered. All this, three of those things go together a lot of the time. Not always, but a lot of the time. Yeah, and it's so interesting because she's in this world where all these frog people, because everybody in Amphibia are frogs or toads or newts. They're all very idealistic, you know? So, like, Anne is completely influencing them, but they're also influencing her. And I like that she is a bit unlikable and self-centered because it's clear that she's already having a character journey. And you can already see her starting to change. But it's Amphibia is such an interesting show. I, I can't quite put my... I like it, but I can't quite put my finger on it. <laughs> I'm having difficulty. All these I humans like- are terrible because... I just want to add this because I finally met her friend Stacy and she's a terrible person. <laughs> Like, the human characters are kind of terrible, while all the frog people are lovely people, and I love them all. I like when, when, like, watching stuff, like, especially now that I've become a podcaster and do so much analysis, especially if it's something I know I'm probably going to watch again, can't do enough to tune out of it, but, like, I sort of try to, like the first viewing of it just do it as a sort of osmosis sort of like absorbing it and not trying to 
analyze it until something comes up that at this on the at the moment makes you think you know makes you think of something you shouldn't not analyze it if you think of something but like in trying to find things going on and stuff a lot of times i found for me it's better the second time through to do mm-hmm. all that stuff after because then you've had the stuff that you just sort of absorb and on the second time through that stuff that you absorbed is sort of working on what you're watching then and you get in it it makes it for me the stuff that subtext and stuff like that it, it makes it more clearly defined or easier to to pick up on yeah i i would definitely love when once we finish gravity falls if, if you get time like within the next year to like rewatch especially some of the earlier stuff and then just like talk about it like a year later after we finish it just to kind of because it's like the whole Steven Universe thing. Like, I never knew the cookie cat ice cream jingle was Steven's theme for his journey the entire show that didn't come up become apparent until four seasons in. Mm-hmm. And and there's so much. I Like, I'm constantly dying because I want to talk to you about so much of it, especially in these earlier episodes, about the stuff being laid down. And I'd be really interested to just see to go through a rewatch with you or even just like a single episode where we talk, we talk about some of this stuff. I imagine a lot of that's going to happen when we get done with it and do whatever kind of going over the whole, you know, going over each season and going over the whole thing. Yeah. I imagine there'll, there'll be an amount of that. There's two episodes in particular in season two that whenever we do connections to the previous episodes, it's like for those two episodes, it's going to be about like a 10 minute segment because I've just been keeping a list for those two episodes to go back through pretty much the entire show. Anyway, so watch Amphibia, guys. It's really fun. And they're going to have Gravity Fall characters soon with Alex Hirsch reprising his roles as Frog Zeus and Frog Grunkle Stan as frogs. Some extra information for you to bring you back to Bottomless Pit. The voice of Dipper's deep voice is by A. Smith Harrison. His other works include Two Peas in Your Pod, Star, Doom Patrol, and Stranger Things. Artwork of Grunkle Stan, Mabel, and Dipper falling into the bottomless pit was used in the original unaired pilot that Alex Hirsch pitched to Disney. It's 12 minutes long. Hirsch wrote and drew the storyboard entirely on post-it notes, and a rushed pilot was commissioned by Disney by a small low-budget flash animation studio, House of Cool Studios. And a little fun side note, in the unaired pilot, there is no journal number three. Instead, Dipper reads a book called Dr. Crackpot's Book of the Damned. That's a great paranormal reference right there. Dr. Crackpot's <laughs> Book of the Damned. Oh, really? That's, How so? That's a hard one. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I can't be a hundred percent sure because I don't know. But it seems to be he is referring to Charles Fort. There's actually still a magazine that comes out monthly called 40 in Times. He wasn't into explaining them. He was just into collecting paranormal stories. And his first book was called The Book of the Damned. And it was all just like, you know, stories of a reign of frogs in an Idaho town and stuff like that. He would maybe offer up speculations of what it could be, but they were often like really kind of whimsical and fun. You know, he, he it was it was very fun writing, but he was just like obsessed with just compiling stacks and stacks, not analyzing, just compiling it and presenting it. But that's huh. got to be a, a reference to Charles Fort. There, there's a whole mo- I mean, the, yeah, the Fortean movement is big thing I'm... in paranormal world. 
I'm so glad I put that note in because that's so interesting and I never knew that and I almost didn't put that note in. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I was like, huh, that's a funny name. But I'm so glad I did because I just learned a thing. So For, thank you, 40 Chris. and Times was a, one of those great magazines that before the internet came out, you could just buy it and it was just page after page of short descriptions of weird shit happening. Page after page of it sort of categorized into different sort of different sort of categories. Very entertaining. Reminded me a lot of just the way the internet's set up these days. Well, as always, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons is separated into several parts. Part one will be stories, themes, and characters. Part two will be Dipper's Journal entries. Part three will be Chris's Speculation and Theories Corner. And part four will be our Cypher Corner and connections to previous episodes. So, Chris, what was your favorite part of this episode? My favorite part? I only had one this time because it's just i love it i love it is when they all fall into the pit and go ah and then the goat runs up and looks down and goes ah at him. <laughs> that is exactly what a real goat would that's what goats do that's one of the if you look at on the internet there's all these videos of people with like musical instruments like with their trumpet going out and like playing it at a bunch of goats or lambs and and they'll all and sheep and they'll all come running up and just like they'll go and they'll all go back at him and that's totally what a goat would do he would hear the scream and just run over and scream back at him i love it it was that was great i have two favorite parts one is i like all the like hand-drawn title cards for each segment but Suos's title card is the best because it's the full it's the full name of Suos's really great pinball story. Is that a good title? Do they have to be puns or whatever? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's for the, the funny full part. Title be- card of that. <laughs> that's the funny part because in reality, as they were falling, they were saying it verbally, but that's just a representation of it. So it's it's almost like there was a translator there translating their their words into the title cards and had to do that with Susan's. yeah that was a good yeah. gag and uh my other is i just love the ending where after stan has fallen back into the bottomless pit he's just sitting there in silence falling and then he sighs he's just like oh this is stupid <laughs> i love that scene it makes me laugh every time <laughs> so those are my two favorite parts so I have an opening note, and then I thought it would be easier to break this down by each each little mini story and talking about it that way. So my opening note, other than what we had already talked about, is I find this episode interesting because since they're the ones telling the stories, every one of these is an unreliable narrator. We don't know how much they're fabricating or how much this is true, so it's how it's hard to tell how much of this is canon and what's not. It's because the characters themselves are telling the story. I only think one of the stories is true, and that's Mabel's. That's the one that, yeah, we'll, we'll come to that, because same here. Um, I think one of them could be true, and then there's one I just flat out think is not true because of the parameters set up in the story. So you want to get into these? Yeah. Let's talk about voiceover, which was Dipper's story. What'd you think of it? A super pubo story. My very first note is puberty, but with voices. Yeah. Um, <laughs> first thing I thought of was uh, Patrick Delmore. Uh, uh, one of our wonderful patrons. Hey, Patrick. I was just like, oh, a Patrick Delmore episode. 
I just like how it opens with spin the pig and Stan's like, I'm not commenting on whether or not I've actually kissed a pig before. <laughs> yeah, it's Patrick Delmore and then he turns into Scott Rifen. You need to be more specific because people who are not two true freaks, people Scott have no Scott Rifen's one of our podcasters and he has one of those, he's got a silky podcasting voice. I should but say he can he's one that. of our podcasters with two true freaks network. Yes. Because this is yes. not in the network. So. Yes, yes, yes. But he can do that, like, silky, manly, that just, that announcer voice. I just like uh, the joke that uh, McGucket gave him the voiceover announcer potion. <laughs> like, it's actually written in there purposely to be a voiceover announcer potion. I think most of the stories don't feel like they were actually written. Like, they they should be, I, th- I felt the story, like, Dipper's story was, like, almost too self-deprecating. He was he was making fun of his own voice and it it was almost too self-aware insofar I mean it was that's why I'm I was thinking these are episodes because they're they're formatted like an episode story they have a little moral to them and especially the careful what you wish for runs strong through this show so they they didn't feel in a writing like the the only story that felt like it was truly written by the person was Stan's story because it was just like I'm Stan <laughs> and I'm the best and but that's usually how people's stories go mm-hmm. you usually know a story that somebody tells about them that they've told about themselves <laughs> a, a story written about oneself by oneself is different than a story about you written by somebody else but I don't think they were going for total realism in the writing of it you know what i mean it felt like like the morals being taught feel more like the meta morals from the writers of the show than a moral that that dipper would write in his own story also they they would probably like write a story where the moral lesson goes to somebody else you know and Mm -hmm. i thought mabel's was sort of going in that way in the beginning and we'll get we'll get to that when we get to her her episode but it did end up being about Ma- Mabel learning the lesson in it. Whereas mm-hmm. Stans was just like, hey, guess what? I want everything and I'm great. And I think it would be hilarious if if later on, is, uh, I would have put, I, I should have put this down as my prediction, but um, I think it would be hilarious if later on in the series we find out that Stan's story is actually 100% true. <laughs> and he's like, what? You didn't believe me? <laughs> <laughs> they find the robot or something you know they find the robot down in the basement and an old and an old newspaper with the article of him winning the game and they're just like damn wait <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's all i really had about the first story for me like that that's a really good point where you were saying that it feels like a mini episode and it, and it moves like a mini episode too like yep, yep. it has the whole like they're making fun of him and then I, I also really like Mabel and Seuss's reaction when they first hear Dipper's really deep voice. I especially like Mabel's because they've been through so many monster stuff already. It's not out of the ordinary for her to think an evil warlock has stolen her brother's body. <laughs> I like the story of like her and Seuss just being like, you know, this is not you. This is not normal. We like you for who you are. And it's that whole little moral story that, like, Dipper has to accept his own voice because it's part of him. And it does feel like a little tiny lesson that's written, as you said, by the the writers of the show, not by Dipper telling the story. But I think that maybe, like, where Dipper's kind of, him as an unreliable narrator comes in is in the beginning 
where we see his insecurities about his voice. And that to me feels like Dipper telling the story. The end, like the middle and the ending feels like the writers of Gravity Falls are speaking yep. through Dipper now. Yep. All right. Exactly. Question. Is this one canon? No, I don't think so. I mean, it could be because it doesn't do anything that doesn't necessarily w- would screw up anything else. But it, it involves Mabel and Seuss and Grunkle Stan, too. So they would probably remember it. <laughs> you know, they'd be like, yeah, we, we lived that. My thing that it's not canon is when McGucket gives Dipper the final vial and he says, this voice is permanent. Yes. He pours it in Grunkle Stan's coffee and Grunkle Stan then has the lady voice. And then when the story ends, Grunkle Stan still does not have that lady voice anymore. It's gone. So that just cements that this can't be canon because Grunkle Stan doesn't sound like a lady anymore. And therefore it's not permanent. But you could also argue McGucket's things have failed before. Maybe it just failed and it wore right, off right. and it's not Mc- permanent. McGucket is not a reliable person. Yeah. <laughs> in that he's, he's, oh, what's the phrase? Uh, crazy as a shithouse rat. But... <laughs> so anything else for voiceover? Not for me. All right. So now we go on to Seuss's really great pinball story. Is that a good title? Do they have to be puns or whatever? I just like saying that. Yes. So what did you think of this one? This one's great. This is my favorite of the three. Yeah. Once once I get shrunk down and the, the pinball skull is talking to the, the, the cowboy skull is talking to him, his lines are priceless. All, all the cowboy skulls jokes are priceless about not being able to turn his head. And it's it's great. And at one point, he's just like, oh, built by the blah, blah, blah corporation. <laughs> <laughs> just as as far as like stories go, this one is like it's it's sort of the video game story, the video game section of the of the, the inconveniencing. So it is sort of like a redundant thing, but it's so much cooler inside a pinball machine than inside of a video game. So it's just a great concept. That's a, that's a good point because this could have easily repeated a lot of this because I'm currently editing Fight Fighters right now where the Street Fighter character came to life and fought Robbie. It This could have really easily been a repeat of that. But the difference yeah. is, is they go into the game. And I love the design, like seeing the inside, the like like when they're standing in the middle of the game, like everything looks nice. You have these walls and then they'll go through the door and it's just bare on the backside. And I like seeing the mechanics of like Seuss rolls down like in the little ch- train and he hops off and there's a giant quarter there. Like I just yep. love everything about it. There's a tray um, of quarters too. It's, yeah. it's really cool. And I actually really like Seuss's stakes in this. And it this feels like a story that Seuss would tell because, you know, he lives in a small town. It's small town life. And having the slow stakes kind of drama of, wanting to have this high score feels a very Seuss thing. Like, that's an important thing to him because, you know, they live in a small town full of weird stuff. And I I like that these low-stakes drama are, is still just as important to Seuss, and that's okay. That makes him really, ha- like, stop and pause because it's something that's important to him. And, I, and, and this felt like a very Seuss story to tell. I, and I like how each of these stories are put through the character's gaze. Like, when we're in Dipper's story, we're looking at it through Dipper's point of view. Like, everything's focused on him. Seuss's story, everything's focused on him. And Mabel's story, everything is focused on her. They do a really good job of making sure that in each of these, the main characters are the people telling the story. 
I thought it was a little strange because it, it is being told from Seuss's point of view. That sort of makes it make a little more sense to me because I was like, Seuss is usually the like most Zen character. He's usually the most egoless character. He's more he's more into things that are really important or whatever. You know, he just sort of naturally slips it. To, so. So having it be like this this ego question of like, do I let my friends get squashed by <laughs> giant pinballs or do I or do I take my name off this is like a little out of character for Seuss. But if he was writing the story, it's him being critical of his own ego ego. You know, that's why I like it, though, is because of the fact that he's normally so egoless. So right. when, we ha- when we're presented with something that... But he that's... views himself as having an... And he views his own... He can view his own ego. You well, know, usually thing, other yeah. people are, see- are seeing other people's egos and, and the yeah. other people are, are unaware of it. But that's He's what keenly I... aware of it and, tr- and, and his whole story is about defeating it. But that's why I, I also like it here is because Seuss is so egoless, when he has something that's actually important to him, he wants to hold on to it. And, and we've seen, like, he has a really good relationship with video games. When we go to Fight Fighters, he says that the arcade is his favorite place in the world. So we know that he has a relationship with video games, and though that's something that's very important to him. So I like that he's so there for everybody else, and he's always there for Dipper and Mabel and Stan and everything else. When he is presented with this one thing that he personally loves, he doesn't want to let it go. And then that's where what you're saying comes in, where it's him having to kind of criticize himself and go, okay, I need to save my friends and let this go. And that's where what you're saying can come in too. But I I do think it's important to recognize that this is something that him personally is very important to Seuss. And I'm also saying this with knowledge of something in season two (laughs) that is a very important thing to him. I think the element of it that feels unseuss-like or feels like the story writer's element of it, if it was Seuss criticizing himself, it would be more important if he was writing the story that he basically decided, he does basically decide to tilt, but but Dipper and Mabel are like, tilt, tilt, tilt. They, they definitely egg him on, which would be in character for everybody. But if Seuss was telling the story, it would be more of a thrust of like, you got everybody into trouble. You got and and your your high score was ill-gotten gains by by cheating. But how complicated are you getting? And we're talking a third of a twenty-two minute show. So yeah, <laughs> for, for, for what that. all this has to do is drive the story of them running around it. You know, pinball gags because it's great. <laughs> yeah, but we do have that really great moment of Seuss Zen where they're like. Seuss, why are you deleting it? He had drops that like just like that Zen knowledge of like, but what is life if not a chase for a high score that we will never get? <laughs> like he drops like a very Zen thing in the middle of everything. So like it, it, it continues to do that. So um, I don't have anything else. So discussion is this one canon? Just like just like the last one, I guess it could be. But it's also another one that has two of the characters that are sitting there. So he would be telling a story like he, he would be only be, the story, the story would only be being told to Stan at that yes. point. That's why I tend to think it's just a story that they they came up with. And, and, and Seuss especially would come up with a story of like it's important not to value your ego over your friends or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I... I'm, I'm only counting canon by the one that I think like firmly feels like a, what it was meant to be 
the the realities, the story that happens in reality. Yeah, like I I think this one could be because we know that Seuss admires Stan, and I could see Seuss being like. I'm going to tell Stan the story that makes me a hero because I saved his great niece and great nephew from yeah. a pinball machine and yeah. he will love me and he will be my <laughs> like he will adopt me and I will be Mr. I will be Seuss Pines Jr. or something. So But in fact it was a story of how he got he endangered the hell out of his niece hey, and nephew and Mabel then just and ba- barely was and, able to save him. <laughs> Mabel and Dipper endangered themselves. Yeah. <laughs> they were the ones yeah, that yeah. pressured him into it. But I mean, it. I mean, it could totally be, you know, but we're talking Grunkle Stan's interpretation of it. I, I think, I agree. I think this one, uh, to, to me, between this one and the first one, this one to me has a higher possibility of being canon. Unlike the first one where McGucket giving Dipper the potion is a clear sign that this is fake, there's nothing in this episode that yes. says this one can't be canon. This one, this one could be without, and I'll take your word for it for the you know all running forward that it doesn't screw up anything in yeah. the stories of it. So nah. yeah, and on to the last one, Truth Ache. So what did you think of Truth Ache? This is the one I think is a canon story. It's clear. It clearly has an ending. And and it also makes sense for it to be told as a story because, you know, Dipper knows the story. Jesus doesn't know the story, but it's more like a reveal to Grunkle Stan. That's why you were telling the, you know, mm-hmm. telling the truth. Although Grunkle Stan is, you'd think he would be really mad at the end of it because he almost like admitted to a lot of his stuff. They could have really, uh, really figured out a lot of things that are going forward in this show if they'd use those teeth properly (laughs) (laughs) with with stan i think they they wasted an opportunity and when you say they do you mean dipper and mabel yes okay they could have been like what's going on and (laughs) and gravity falls something like that they 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 nip at it a little bit yeah can you imagine what like a mind blowing thing when they're like, "What do you do in that at, like when you're alone?" And he was just like, "I have a secret thing behind the vending machine." Right, right, and I monitor they, uh, the I monitor the forest for the dimensional the thing. Although this is sort of the the last episode, there was some verbal back and forth about weird things happening in the woods. But this is the first episode where the kids. We don't know about Jesus because he has a history with Grunkle Stan, but this is the first time that the kids in Grunkle Stan all experience a paranormal thing together. And we do see Stan freak out a little bit at the end. He was like, no one's going to believe us. There's a bottomless pit. What the hell? Like He does have a mild freak out there at the end before he accidentally falls back into it. But if he is a character who knows a lot of things, he could be also like blowing up a smoke screen or something. I would be a little suspicious, like the like with if you fell through a hole and came out back where you started from. I'd be suspicious as to whether that's where we started from. I would start that as a show where they get back and they're like, "Oh, we're home," but everything's the opposite. This um, is not Rick and Morty. <laughs> right, right, but it feels very Rick. That's you know, ba- I mean, basically, if you fall through it and like come out of the other side and you're in the same place. Uh, are you sure you might be in a very close to you, you know you don't know what happened there but you know I, uh, whatever it's just the, for the for the sake of the story i do like the whole storyline of stan having a seeing i bear and teaching it how to drive 
I like that too, and I like that the bear when it drives, it's <laughs> concentrating. <laughs> it actually just has this blank look on its face of like, mm, I'm driving now. But whenever it's not driving, it's just like rah rah rah. <laughs> <laughs> and when it drives off, it just goes <laughs> like a little Chewbacca, like <laughs> when it drives yeah. away. <laughs> the only other note, I because I love the entire segment of just Stan not being able to lie, and it just wrecks the kids' lives. But to me, this is also like a tiny continuation of the boss Mabel story from last week, where Mabel is wanting to have Stan do the things the right way, but she's having to learn a lesson of you can't always do that. And I think this is an important lesson. Like she's learning the value of a white lie. Lying, yes, is bad, but sometimes you have to tell white lies so people don't get hurt. And <laughs> so his are more like, you know, his are more less like white lies and more like, ah, we just don't want Grunkle Stam to go to jail for tax fraud. <laughs> yeah, but that's still like a very important lesson because like when we're kids, we're taught like lying is bad. You should always tell the truth. But then as you get older, you start learning the value of a white lie. To, to where you don't harm other people. And sometimes, like, it, it's... And white, white lies are not harmful to... some Most of the time. They can be. But I, I think that's a very important lesson that Mabel had to learn, that sometimes you can't tell the truth, or... Because if you do tell the truth, people will be hurt, which is the whole thing. Like, well, Stan flat a, out... That's a very teenage out, thing. Yeah, and Stan flat out looks at a guy and tells him that he's ugly and then gets everybody in the shot to look at him. And, like, Mabel's the one having to comfort this guy. And she's starting to see, like, telling the truth is sometimes can be potentially very harmful. So I I think it's an interesting lesson that most young kids shows, like, something like Gravity Falls, they're not teaching kids to lie. They have that moral lesson of telling the truth is so important. But this is a very interesting case where they're like, sometimes you have to lie. Which is a very interesting lesson in a kid show. Yeah, it is. It's it's usually it's a little too it's a little more uh, nuanced than usual. But pubos and teenagers go through this phase. Not all of them, but a lot of times, I, I know a lot more guys actually that go through a phase of where they're almost like a fundamentalist, but not like a religious. Well, you know, a fundamentalist. Whereas they they don't have any experience in life, so they think lies are bad. And like, look at these adults lying and it's terrible. So they, 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 they'll form these black and white and, you know, they'll think about like having a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they go, if I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, I would never, you know, I would treat them like this and blah, blah, blah. And they, and they set up all these like strict rules and, and stuff. And then you get to watch. (laughs) <laughs> life just tear all of them down with reality you know oh my god i am currently you're almost almost describing purity culture and fandom and purity well, yeah. okay, purity culture yeah, is something and a lot that of people I, in fandom are young oh and, man i am i'm going through that with a few shows right now because of course i love animation we're doing a podcast on animation and i wrote about that recently in the she-ra fandom I love She-Ra. She-Ra, She-Ra is a show about morally gray characters doing morally gray things in a war for five fucking seasons. But the the fan and, and let me okay, let me let me back this up a little bit. Young fans and I did this too. I I'm I'm guilty of this. When I was a younger fan, I did this too. It is very normal 
when young fans are first getting into fandom for things to be very black and white. Because when you're younger, you haven't really learned a lot of the nuances of life. So this is a very normal thing. The problem is... In recent years, with purity culture really making a rise in the in, in multiple fandoms across the board, is when older fans, like our fandom moms and dads, are trying to teach younger fans, you know, like, stories can be nuanced, it's okay, like, when you have a character, like, my favorite character in she is a character named Entrapta, and she is the morally moral gray of all. She is constantly switching sides, but the thing is, is she's switching sides for her own work. She's the only scientist of the show. And so she's doing it because it's the place for her to make her best goals. But she's not a bad person. She's not a bad person at all. She just joins the bad guys because it's what helps her get her work done. But she herself is not a bad person. Scorpia works for the bad guys. She's not a bad person, which is what is which is shows how nuanced Shira is because this is a show about a bunch of child soldiers. Everyone's child soldiers who's been fighting in this war, and that's where it comes in. But like this purity culture bullshit, like there are people in this fandom are like, well, Entrapta's bad and she's a bad person because she switched sides and went to the bad side. I'm like, how are you watching this show? Like she's clearly the best person and she wants to be friends with her old friends and she wants to be friends with these new people and she just loves everybody. And there's this whole other layer, too, of, like, like um, Entrapped is the only autistic character. She was actually designed by an autistic storyboarder who, who helped design her movements and actions and how, and how she acts and stuff like that to make sure she was authentic. So a lot of times, she, like, she gets so focused on her work, she doesn't realize that she's hurting people. And when, once Entrapta realizes that she's hurt something, she, has hurt somebody, she goes well beyond... Like, her ability is to, like, try and make it right because she is a good person. (laughs) But then all this purity culture bullshit has come in. I don't even remember where this started. I just hate purity culture and I just wanted to rant about it for half a second. But it's, it's becoming a thing, especially with younger fans now, where they're not becoming, they're not willing to listen to older fans trying to discuss things with them. And this is becoming a big thing when you have characters who are bisexual Like, the character of Seahawk and Mermista and She-Ra are both bisexual, and people are just flat-out erasing them being bi because they're a couple and they're a man and a woman together, and so people are like, they're straight, and people are like, no, it's nuanced. They're bisexual. (laughs) Why are you erasing this? Here's here's why I don't... I've never been able to get... Yeah, I love Shira. I love the characters. I love my friends like Kate, our patron Kate. Like, we have lovely discussions about Shira. I will not actually interact with the rest of the Shira fandom. I've yeah. tried. It's a nightmare. I stay out of the Shira fandom. Yeah, and but... I personally talk with my own friends about it because the rest of the Shira fandom is so toxic. I can't, like, cancel culture. Everybody has their name for it, and every different point of view has, like, there was the like SJW was the catchphrase before that and and all that and like you know Rush Limbaugh would use feminazis and stuff like that but what the, that really is, and like you know people talk about the colleges being politically it was before like politically correct was the first sort of scare word for all of that but it's really just that stuff and it's just a, a phenomena of people human be what happens when human beings get politically active or they get active in the political aspect of life and 
you start off, it's like um, people would make jokes about vegans talking about being vegans all the time because it's a major thing in your life. And like, say you're young and you're, you, you are just sort of haven't been paying attention to things in life and something happens and your mind is blown by veganism. You know, the idea of veganism and all of a sudden in your brain it goes, that is the thing. And you adopt it and you build it in, into an important part of your life and you talk about it a lot and stuff and you get very annoying to everybody else and you always want to talk to them about veganism because you're young and excited. Or, you know, that's, you... That's not my problem. No, my... but, the, but the, 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 the policing part is all tied into that inexperience and enthusiasm thing to where they're like, they're, try, they're learning the words, they're learning the phrases, they're learning the ideas, but they don't have them. They're learning them and they're learning what they mean, but they don't have the reality of them in real life. And the reality of them in real life is people have come up with phrases and things to describe things. But real life is always a little different, a little more nuanced. There's more things going on at once, you know, in any given situation. So, you know, they'll end up getting in fights a lot. Or, and, and a lot of times people will also get into stuff and they're sort of motivated by being in with a group. So, you know, their group might be against one thing. So they're trying to impress, you know, there's a lot of people being performative, trying to impress people trying to be the most of whatever they're doing yeah. and it takes years to for them to get and once they start getting nuanced most of the time they start like becoming more reasonable and becoming more like you or me <laughs> but yeah. in that early phase i mean there's a lot of people who get it and sort of say but it's always going to be there and now with the internet it's so you're always going to have some people who are who are new and it's hard and and then when you when you get in a conversation with them and they're telling you you are this and that and this and that and you know you're not <laughs> yeah you know and you know exactly where they're going wrong with their their logic and stuff it's just super frustrating and it's it like is. and but all I, those I people guess... that are yelling at you now in 10 years are going to be like totally like yeah i know what you mean and they're, they're going to be fighting with the new batch of young puritans who haven't figured stuff out yet well the difference is to me is because i've i've always because i've always been like the mom of fandoms i another very problematic show hitalia it was a very young fandom and i was much older but so I, i've been in young fandoms for a long time which makes me sound creepy <laughs> I don't mean to sound this creepy. So I've been able to have conversations. I'm about to sound creepy again. I love talking with young fans because I used to, I used to be in their position where I was, you know, I was excited and enthusiastic and like threw myself into the fandom and stuff like that. But there's a difference between young fans who are willing to listen and see the nuances and and listen. But then there's this group of, like, very recently, a lot more fans in this purity culture mindset where they don't even want to listen. They believe right. that they are right, and there it is, and yeah. that's the end of it. And I'm, I'm, I've grown up around being the mom of young fans who love listening and love learning and love using these mediums to, like, learn new things and use them, like, actively. And I, it's to me, it just feels like a very – this might be just me being an old lady telling young fans to get off my lawn – it could just fully be that. 
But recently, there has definitely been a strong rise of purity culture where if you like a, like my word, my, my least favorite is villains. Like if I saw one where this person was like, if you like Loki from Marvel, then you're supporting murder and genocide. And I'm like, um, he's a fictional character. And that's why we have story. Like, that's why we have the safety net of story so we can analyze and dive in and look at these very bad things without stories are the place for murder if there's any good place for murder it's in a story (laughs) yeah and that's where a lot of these purity culture people are going they're like if you like darth vader then you support murdering padawans and children i'm like no i like darth vader because he's a very interesting character and so there's so this whole thing like where people are not wanting to understand the what story is story is the place to safely look at these topics analyze these topics look at these deep things so we don't have to experience it in real life <laughs> like well, that's, that's the, the is, point of story like if i was in one of those conversations they're like you support the murder of padawans i would go like that is correct i 100 percent support the murder of the cold-blooded lightsaber murder of padawans by Anakin Skywalker, because that is an important way to tell the story that is at hand. And that is a story of somebody who's going bad and doing something bad. And that is a bad thing that he did, which is good when you're telling a story about someone who did bad things and you have to stress. But no, they'll try to say that you personally, Chris Honeywell, didn't support the murder of children. Right. For one thing, there's no such thing as a goddamn Padawan to murder in the first place. So I can support the murder of him in the right. There's no Jedi. Okay. So Damn, fucking bottomless pit has brought us out on the rants today. We are ranting and it's uh, great. I'm just saying, I, I'm just saying, but all that stuff is stuff. I've had, I've come to all these, opi- I'm, you know, 52 years old. And when I was in high school, if you would have interviewed high school Chris Honeywell about like girls right now, you would just be like shaking your head and just like, dude, <laughs> you know nothing, <laughs> you know, about like what dating would be like and stuff like that. Forget about even like sex or anything like that, but like what having a girlfriend would be like and ma- how men and women would react to each other, you know. I, had all the stupid ideas of teenage boys that, you know, if I had a girlfriend, I would treat her like the gold and I would never, blah, 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 blah. you know, just all that, the dumb shit that you think of when you don't know anything. And so I, I give them slack, but at the same time, I don't want to not argue with them because also I remember when I was stupid and people making arguments that I didn't listen to, but I did. And then 10 years later, I would still be thinking about something someone said to me and it would make sense. So even when you're saying something to people who don't listen, it might sink in depending on how you put it. You can get them not to listen to you, but especially like teenagers that, you know, I know plenty of teens that I know that will ask me advice. I give them advice. They won't listen to it. They won't take it. But 10 years from now, they'll go like, oh, you were right, you know, (laughs) so but it might take years. So, yeah, yeah, it's frustrating. It's better just to stay away from stay away from it as much as possible or have you and your friends and have your conversation and when someone goes, "You people are committing genocide right now." Just look at them and go like, 
okay, thanks, guys, thanks, and then go back to your conversation. <laughs> it's so I actually had this the the other day, this kind of like thought process because I really love the show The Owl House. And I was like, huh, I wonder if, cause, and I already follow some of the creators, like uh, Dana Terrace, who is the creator and uh, producer of Owl House. So I follow her and I follow a couple of the storyboard artists and stuff. But I was like, you know, I kind of want to follow some of the people in the fandom. You know, I think that'd be fun after episodes, have someone to talk to about this, because none of my real life friends watch uh, Owl House. I thought and, you just for, for research purposes, like Googled like Owl House problematic to see what people were saying about it or something. <laughs> no, I just, I just wanted to follow some people mm -hmm. just to talk about the show. And it's become a thing where people put their age in their Twitter handles or like in their Twitter, Twitter descriptions. And I'm going through all these and the first like about 15 to 20 people I found were all a decade younger than me. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to be a creep. <laughs> but I just want to talk about, I want to talk about Amity Blight because she's the best character in the show. <laughs> but I don't want to because <laughs> I'm going to be 32 year old person talking to a 17 year old about oh, whether hell. or not, you're, whether you're or not Amity have... Blight is gay. <laughs> You're gonna have forty-year-old witches coming in and going like, "This isn't this isn't indicative of witchcraft at all. They're doing it all wrong." Or they're or they'll yeah. be like, "This is completely perfect, except for they put this sigil is completely wrong." And and don't feel creepy talking to younger people. It's how you talk to younger people that makes you creepy. It's your motivations yeah. for talking to younger people that make you creepy. So I, don't, I, I love don't I love being around teenagers. It's the most like when I'm at work and there's a, like a high high proportion of teenagers around. I'm in my element because it is it is like a sitcom. You know, I could just sit there and watch the the drama play out without having to do anything, and it's just and having conversations with them is fucking phenomenal. Because I remember having conversations with the crazy old, you know, the old 50-year-old guy at work and going, listen to that jerk. And now I I'm know. that jerk. And it's and it's it it's a that riot. Was, it's a riot. Was, I love that it. That was me when I uh, was managing the comic book store. Uh, a couple of my employees were teenagers. And, like, they would just come in. And they'd be like, I'm having such a bad day. And I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? Are you okay? And they're like, yeah, my friend is not answering me on Instagram. And I'm like, uh -huh. oh, uh -huh. <laughs> you're fine. Uh -huh. This is also a good uh, rule of thumb for people who are who are getting older that like talking to younger people and stuff. Just remember the time when you were younger and you remember the older people. And, like, definitely you notice the older people who are creepy. And then you just go, don't, uh, then you go, yeah, don't be like that. <laughs> That's the rule of thumb for when you get older. Remember what the old creepy people acted like and don't act like that. I know. But like, I want to have like nuanced discussions of like, you know, the sexuality of Amity Blight on Owl House. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about this with like a 17 Minors? year old. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, for sure. I mean, for sure, you've got to be like, uh, You've got to think of stuff like that, but I like that, you hope you're the kind of person. That's, Owl House. <laughs> you're the kind of person that's gonna gonna th be more sensitive to that than normal people, anyway. So I don't have to think. I, I, you know, I don't think you're the person who you really have to worry about, like who's gonna ignore lines, you know, or or be be casual about lines, yeah. crossing lines and stuff. So yeah. Man, who knew the, the bottomless pit episode of all episodes would bring all this out of us? So let's bring this back. Is this canon? Truth ache. 
It's this is the one canon. that I think. This is the one I think is canon. Yes, it's clearly I think, canon. And I also think that the the teeth could come in handy in the future. Although that's not my prediction. I think there are parts of it with because Mabel is telling the story. There are parts of it that could be a little bit flopped. But I think because we clearly see that the story is ending with her dumping the box. This one is faux show canon. I did want to touch base on Grunkelstad wins the football ball. Uh, did you have anything about that? Just because it, it was in there. It's not one of the Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's literally like a gag. It's a one-off gag, and it's a good one. I mean, the gag is, yep, this is a story that Grunkelstad would write. Yeah, I, I think it's a nice little gag, but it's also a good little bit because we get to see just like a moment from how Stan wants to see himself. Like, he wants to be a hero. He wants to be loved. We know yeah. this about him. It says a lot of things. It says he's self-aggrandizing. At the same time, it also says he thinks the whole idea of telling stories is kind of stupid and he's just going to half-ass it with the shortest story ever. I got a story for you. Uncle Grunkle Stan won everything, and it was really cool. The end. Yeah, and he had a robot. Totally in character. But I, I like that, too, because we see that he wants to be the hero in his own narrative, and he makes himself the star. He even has these young people being football players come up to him. They're like, we think you're the smartest person ever, and, like, ladies yeah. are there. So I like it. It's, it's just like a little peek into how Stan wants to see himself, not how yeah, he and, does see himself. And on top of it, he's telling that story to people who know that it's not true. And he tells it anyway. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter. It's, it's more just about him being himself. But that's all I have for this episode. Did you have anything else? No, I don't. Well, all I right. We will go to the next section where we will read from journal number three. And I actually have two entries. One is for the bottomless pit, and the other one is for the truth-telling teeth. Both of these entries come from the author. I have already read ahead, so I know what not to read for spoilers. <laughs> oh, yeah, they would have to put the truth-telling teeth in it because she got it out of there. Out of the journal. In the story, yeah. So, first and foremost, the bottomless pit. And the author writes, I want to, in quotations, get to the bottom of this mystery. But it seems impossible. This Mobius pit seems to somehow impossibly loop back on itself. Many things that are tossed in are eventually tossed right back out, but some things never return. It's nearly impossible to predict what will return and what won't. There are no discernible patterns in terms of time of day or weather conditions. Of course, socks never come back. Junk mail almost always does. Ironically, nothing ever seems to get lost on Friday the 13th. The speed at which things return also varies, but experimentation has taught me that if something does not return within 24 hours, it never comes back. Do not throw away something if you never want to see it again. One day, I may have the courage to leap in out of curiosity, although I might find myself on a plane of existence that I'm not ready to handle, or I could just waste 21 minutes telling stories to myself to keep entertained. I like that last meta bit. <laughs> And the other one is the truth-telling teeth, as Mabel read in the journal. So here we go. A weapon to use against deceivers, or at least one with no teeth. Buried neath a tree stump in the deep forest are the truth teeth, which force upon the wearer an inability to lie. Not sure who created these, but I certainly think that a number of humans, like politicians, lawyers, and TV executives, would be improved by the uses of these. 
As an experiment, I tried wearing them for a day. They fit over my regular teeth quite snugly, but I found immediately that people don't like me very much when I'm honest. I accidentally made my mailman cry. It's not my fault he's abnormally hairy. Is there truth serum inside these? I just got pulled over for speeding and had to admit to it. The ticket was absurd. This is getting out of hand. I'm going to rebury these. I believe honesty is the best policy, except for when it's not, which is often. And that is from the author this week. Are you starting? Okay, now we're going into your speculations corner. And so we've been reading these little bits from the from the journal. And while some of these are from Dipper, some of these are from the author. And of course, the big mystery of this is who is uh, that Dipper wants to know is who wrote the journal. Are you starting to gleam anything from the author as I've been reading these, or is it still just kind of like meh? No, yeah, no, I don't think it's it's Grunkle Stan. None of it's written in his voice. It's hard to say. In the book that you're reading from, which is something that was written post-show, the author, the, the voices sound like Dipper's voice and the author's voice don't sound too far off. So maybe it's an adult Dipper and maybe he uses time travel guy somehow to bury bury the book you know maybe dipper moves there when he's older writes a book and then hides it in the past using the guy who looked like uh the time traveler guy who looked like uh bunsen honeydew blended blanded yeah some blended blanded dipper from the future collaboration okay so what's your actual speculations for this? My actual, actual speculation is I think that hole is going to get used again as a plot element sometime. Somebody will jump in the hole just because they know they're going to get tossed back out at an opportune time or toss something down in the hole because they know it'll like a piano and it'll come back out and land on somebody or something. Cool. Anything else? Nope. Well, on to our next part, which is the Cypher Corner and connections to previous episodes. So this first one's kind of interesting because in the episode The Time Traveler's Pig, Dipper tells Robbie to jump into the bottomless pit. Though here, we can see that Grunkle Stan is introducing the kids to the bottomless pit for the first time. So I believe it was more of an expression than Dipper knowing that there was an actual bottomless pit. But it was hinted that there was a possibility of a bottomless pit much earlier on in the season. And finally, the cryptogram at the end of this episode. Um, And I must say, they have a new cipher, which is the A1Z26 cipher. And this is the first time they've used it. Um, It's entirely numbers. It's a different kind of cipher. And it reads, once it's deciphered, uh, next up, Footbot 2, Grunkle's Revenge. I like Revenge. Revenge. I also like Footbot 2. And he's just like, thank you for making me, Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I have to slide in here and say, hello there, General Kenobi. And the reason I'm saying this is we have a brand new patron that I have to thank. And the reason I say hello there, General Kenobi, is it's our friend, actually from our other show, Mr. Brian Weber, who is an Obi-Wan Kenobi cosplayer. Uh, Hey, Brian, welcome to the Patreon. Thank you for joining. We are so happy that you get to hang out with, like, Billy and Kate, Kate, who has been wonderful and sending us comments, and Lynn and Patrick, who we also love so much, and Brie and Alex, you guys are so awesome. And then the door opens and Heather comes in, and Heather's just like, don't forget about me, 
this is my territory. And Brian's like, oh, no, I'm General Kenobi. And Heather's like, that's cool, because I like Star Wars, too. And they're like, oh, awesome. And now everyone's friends. And we can all be friends together if you also join my Patreon, you guys. You get behind-the-scenes content. Something that I've been posting recently that you guys are not getting on the normal public feed is a lot of times before me and Chris record, we're just talking and shooting the shit and just talking about our days and what's going on and stuff like that. So if there's any, like, really interesting snippets, I've been posting those on Patreon, and it's just, like, little snippets of, like, what's going on with cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, what, what were we talking about before the episode, Chris? We were talking about, oh, The Mandalorian being nominated for an Emmy. Yes, we were. Yep. I was, uh, try- I was trying to think of something really lurid and gross that, like, would just, like, make people go, like, oh, I gotta go listen to that. But uh, we were discussing our thoughts about The Mandalorian being nominated for an Emmy and, like, the shows it was up against and giving our predictions and stuff like that. That's not going on my public feed. Only that's going on my Patreon. No real else. So if you want to hear stuff like that, I actually, earlier today, I talked. I posted us po- talking about berries. <laughs> peaches and peach trees. <laughs> so it's not always riveting, but, you know, it's fun. I'm drinking, so. I'm drinking Blackberry Smash, a new brisk iced tea. Oh, delicious. It's pretty good, yes. So, as always, thank you to our wonderful patrons. And if you want to hear some behind-the-scenes content and also be part of the conversation and stuff like that and get episodes early, you should join Patreon. Well, Chris, what were your final thoughts on the episode? I liked it. It was fluffy. But if this show is fluffy, it's usually also full of good gags. And it was just packed full of good gags and situations. So it was fun to watch. Not one of the deeper episodes, but I liked it. Yeah, this is a really good episode where everyone's just kind of bouncing off each other. It's it's just fun. Nothing really feels out of like super out of place or anything. I like the format of this could have been three episodes that that this you know ideas from three other episodes, and I like that it's debatable about what's canon and what's not. I think that's a fun aspect of this. But yeah, it's a fun little episode. All right, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That's the home of the Two True Freaks podcast network made up of just many, many, many podcasters and all posting posting their various podcasts there. And Two True Freaks is our home base where you can see all the podcasts listed. You can sign up for the RSS feed there on iTunes. You can also find us on Facebook where we have the Two True Freaks podcast page where we also post up all our shows. And if you want to go talk about stuff Two True Freaks related, we got the Two True Freaks Cantina. And uh, as speaking of aforementioned podcasters, we have one of our podcasters who also runs our Twitter feed, and that's Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. Gene. Yeah, I think that's I think that about about uh, wraps it up for me. Where can they find you? Even though they've actually found part of part of the Hope Mullinex web experience by coming here. Well, if you're listening, you should check out geekygirlexperience.com. Maybe you're listening on Podbean. Maybe you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. We are now on Spotify. So if you're on any of these other channels, you should, and you haven't been to geekygirlexperience.com, you should go there. Because for one, you can leave comments on this very episode on Geeky Girl Experience. Um, and you can also read all my amazing, uh, I, I don't know, maybe they might be amazing. I wrote them. You can read all my like editorials and reviews and stuff. I'm actually currently reviewing The Owl House weekly until the season is over. 
mostly just because I have no one to talk to because I'm a creep. <laughs> but I also have merchandise as well. I actually have Gravity Falls merchandise. You can check out Geeky Girl Experience on Etsy and get some Waddles merch and support the show that way. Of course, I mentioned my Patreon where you can get some behind-the-scenes content. I have my Twitter at Hope Molinex, and Chris and I have another show. If you want to hear us talking about Star Wars for like 300 episodes, uh, we have an episode, a, a show called J Guys and Jedi, where we're going through Star Wars animation. And by the time this comes out, we just finished Rebels, and we should be doing Clone Wars season seven when this episode comes out. We will be in Clone Wars season seven, um, and then getting ready for also for Resistance. And you can also find us at J Guys and Jedi. So, and guys, if you like the show, if you like how it makes Chris watch cartoons, tell somebody, share it. You know, write us a review, help people find the show, share it on Twitter or Facebook, you know, share it with your groups. That is the best way to help this show grow. And that would be super helpful. You can just leave us like a little star on iTunes. I don't know how Spotify rates stuff, but, you know, tell somebody about us and share that why you like us. So let me know. We like reviews. I <laughs> like guys, reviews. Yeah. Our J guys and Jedi rules are Chris loves mean reviews. I will cry. So. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, you can if you want to leave a mean review, it better it should for this podcast. It should be specifically aimed at me, as in hope you need to get rid of that Chris guy or whatever. That's fine. That's the only kind of mean review I'm encouraging, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> or not discouraging. Well, do you want to hear what we're talking about next week? Yes. The title of next week's episode is the deep end. It's definitely pool-related, I would hope. Or is it? They fooled me on Mabel the Boss, so... <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 <laughs> I, had to stop my, I had to stop myself from starting to talk about pools because I'm now I'm fantasizing about swimming in a pool. I was like, ooh. Oh, I want to go to a pool so bad. I want to go to a... Oh. My roommate just got invited to two pools because... She knows two people who have them, and she just sort of got on going like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I miss a YMCA, though. That was a good place. That was, I used to go to aqua fitness classes, and then like two people were like, we have pools, and she's just downstairs like, yes. I know. <laughs> I, I've actually been debating buying like just a little kiddie pool just to put on, I because I just want to put it on my porch and put my feet in it. Wait, yeah. am I still recording? Hold on. Oh. Yes, you are. Hey, bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Hey guys, did you know that you are actually two months behind on Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons? My patrons over on Patreon have access to more episodes of this show as well as behind the scene content. Patreon is a great way for you to support this podcast and my website Geeky Girl Experience with multiple tiers of content that you can choose from. If you become a patron, you'll get your name shouted out in the episodes, as well as my never-ending gratitude. You can sign up today at www.patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. Thanks for listening, I'll see you next time, and I love you guys. Bye!